Ahoy, welcome to the Design That Scales podcast. I'm Benjamin Williams. And I'm Anna Gambrell. This is the go-to source for non-designers to get the latest design tips and tricks to scale their business. In today's episode, we will be chatting about A-B testing, what it is and what it can unlock for your business. How's your week been, Anna? My week has been great. Staying positive in lockdown, uh, you know, just trying to do a lot of reading, eating delicious food and trying to stay sane. What about you? Uh, You know, Anna, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, This week, it's been very difficult for me personally, mental-wise, in terms of just Mm -hmm. like a lot of brain fog. But... I know from what I can tell from all other Sydney starters I speak to that I'm not alone in this. And I think it's just, you know, uh, it's been a long time with COVID and we're all kind of a bit over it, I think. So when you get put into lockdown and, you know, you see half the country out and about moving around freely, it does take its toll on you. But we, we are here and we are healthy and we are safe. And that's the main thing. Oh, you're like a, you're like a guru. I needed, I needed to <laughs> I amen to that. Well, the actual coffee shop near our house is doing a pay it forward at the moment where uh, they have collectively gone out and made a pot of money to give uh, coffee to anybody that's having a, a, a low day or a low week this week uh, with the whole COVID situation, which is a lovely thing to do. They're going to give me a free coffee this morning, but alas, I went straight to work. <laughs> so, oh, no, free caffeine. I'll, I'm, I'm I'll, like claim, that, I'll claim that tomorrow. <laughs> You'll claim it tomorrow. Yeah, no, I think yeah. you know, caffeine... Caffeine is a good pick-me-up, and it can, can it'll save the world. Basically, caffeine will save the world. And so it'll get you through any crises. <laughs> it's true, best therapy. But um, best best health advice we have for you. <laughs> have more stimulants while you're sitting alone in a tiny house. Great. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for your um, honesty. I appreciate that. And yep, 100%. Everyone's on that on that wild journey through the unknown keeping keeping hopeful and you know just trying to stay focused on things and you know speaking of focus i think this week you and i have sort of been chatting a bit about some of the a b testing that we've been doing via 55 knots but also across um you know various previous roles that we've worked in together and and looking at some of those insights and and what they've unlocked for us yes um we i mean we've got we're quite lucky to be able to spend millions of dollars on ebay's behalf um, to a b test (laughs) (laughs) and get some great learnings um, producing these A-B tests across different verticals and channels. So I think we've learned quite a lot. Uh, I think it's been quite, quite valuable. And we are, I think, I think, I'm not sure about you, but I think we want to share some of those insights today. I think we're feeling a little generous. Yeah, we're going to reveal the secrets, the deeper secrets. But but first, Ben, I would love to know, what is an A-B test? Well, I'm so glad you asked. An A-B test is often confused for a split test. So a lot of people do split tests thinking they're doing an A-B test, and well, quite frankly, you're not. So the difference, first of all, it's probably good to call out. Um, an A-B test tests um, a variable versus variable. So for example, if you had a piece of creative and it had the same headline, copy, um, uh, photo, um, and you might be comparing whether a red background performs better to the same creative with the blue background, and that's what you're testing basically blue versus red. So that would be uh, AB test. And then mo- what most people think is an AB test is when they do split testing, which is where it's two pieces of different creative um, and they'll have different images, different copy, um, 
and they'll pit them off against each other uh, and to try and determine which performs best. And that does work, but that's a split test and it's not as efficient as an A-B test if you're looking to figure out what works and what doesn't. Mm, that's so true because if there are so many different variables of colors, elements of design, um, you know, copy, just even changing one word, you know, this idea that it's just focusing on a really small variable. And I think uh, it's interesting because often you talk about, oh, I have this hypothesis that I think this is the thing that's driving high performance for the ad for our brand or the ad for our client's brand. I think it's this thing, but I need to be sure. So I'm going to test it against something against something that changes that one thing so that you can really just drill in and prove that factor. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's always a great thing to do when there's a lot of like internal debate. Um, like I'm sure you, we've all been in these marketing meetings where everyone's fighting about color and they've all had their own idea on what performs best because someone once told them that yellow performs better and they've always held on to that belief. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the best way to so go, well, let's, let's find out is to do an A-B test. Uh, <laughs> see if yellow really does hold up or you were total a pack of lies. <laughs> well yeah let the data speak that's a really good point it's, it's sort of everyone has their different opinions and personal affiliation with colors or imagery but really is that even considering what your customer or core audience is interested in or what will resonate with them so it's like taking the personal way and just being data driven in your creative decisions oh for sure I mean, a lot of psychology around things as well like a lot of things are done based on psychology and i think people's psychology changes um mm -hmm. as well with the times like um you know for example black websites would have been proven in the past to be low performing in terms of lead generation mm. um but in modern days or in the last year a lot of people actually do everything in dark mode so it's like the psychology of things should always probably be tested in my in my view because if you've got a lot of people now adopting everything in dark mode then black websites suddenly become more attractive wow what what for people that don't know what dark mode is can you please tell us ben so <laughs> sure so a lot of people even on their email will have um a toggle in their settings usually where they can switch to dark mode even facebook has it with messenger and mm. it basically just turns everything from we're used to seeing everything on white, so text on white backgrounds. Uh, we see it mm. on Messenger, we see it in our email. So this basically just inverts it, so it becomes uh, white text on black on a black background or a really dark grey. Uh, mm. It's a lot, lot better to use. A lot of people also use dark mode at night time because it's better. Um, it's better for helping your your brain wind down and also go to sleep. So it, it has its purposes. I mean, but some people just love dark mode, so they just everything's in dark mode. Yeah, no, that's brilliant to know. I guess I can stop wearing my blue glasses, blue tinted glasses, and just put dark mode on. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. It, it's, it helps. It definitely helps. Uh, but yeah, blue block is, well, but not blue block is still have their place. <laughs> but not not on the catwalk um, because you know <laughs> they're just not a good looking asset. But but that's super super interesting. Um, like you say, it's sort of. You know, I think as well when you look into, you know, when people are Googling as well and, and trying to find information about what elements perform best and what data there is, it's sort of looking at really current references, like you're saying that dark mode is a new trend and sort of knowing that people are visually, you know, leaning towards that and responding to it. And I think it kind of makes a lot of sense as well with this idea of over information um, and people sort of being overstimulated and trying to, you know, calm things down because particularly during lockdown, I'm just talking to a friend who's a teacher and she spends like eight hours a day running Zoom tutorials and it's just incredibly draining. So I think, yeah, 
that's very interesting. It's sort of noticing that trend and, and thinking about it. Maybe it's a high performance uh, factor that needs to be tested. I would say constantly test. Just because we tested it three years ago doesn't mean it's always going to be valid. And I think this idea of how we A-B test, the process that goes into it, I've noticed that you, you know, building lots of lists around different hypotheses and then sort of prioritising which ones to jump on first. But it's always, I'm just interested in your, I guess, your process on how you A-B test. Like what are those steps that you take when you decide you want to start setting up A-B tests? There's two areas I personally A-B test and it's usually Facebook ads and then the other one's website stuff, mm. um, which is, sub website stuff is often more of a split test, but with Facebook ads, it's, um, you have the hypothesis of, of what you think is a good, going to be a good message. Um, and then for us, usually when we put a new ad out there, for example, we'll always do the same audience, the same demographic, the same location, so mm -hmm. that, that, that that variable is always the same. And let's always take it with a grain of salt because, you know, even with Facebook ads, you know, it could show you, it could show Susan who's 38 and then Susan who's 22, but they have very different likes and interests, but they might just have one overlapping interest. So mm. the variables a bit, the variables a bit different, but so what we, have said in the past, you and I, and I think we're at eBay days as well, what you want to look for is dramatic differences. Um, mm. Because if it's just marginal, then it's this, I don't believe there's enough there to, to go, okay, well, that was set definitely better. But what we would generally do is you might put the same ad out there, the same message, you might do four different colors, um, even though that's A-B testing, that's A-B-C-D testing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if, if you were doing a color test for four different colors, for example, you could do it that way. Um, and then you might want to do another test later on, which is maybe with the winning color. And then you might want to then go, okay, let's let's do four different headlines and see which headline performed best. And then mm -hmm. lifestyle versus photography, uh, product imagery, imagery. And then you might want to move things around like call to action button on the left, on the right. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of stuff you want to kind of do incrementally and uh, just to find out what works for your industry. Yeah, brilliant. I think optimizing the different elements as you go as well. It's like you're constantly going testing. Okay, that one works great. So I'm going to consistently use that element now. Now I'm moving on to this element. And it just shows how exponentially, you know, through those learnings, your work can just continue to increase and, and perform even better and better as those, as those, you know, success variables just start compiling. So it's, it's quite exciting. That is. Uh, so when you were referring to multivariant testing before, was that you, was that just another way for split, you saying split testing? Yeah, exactly. Totally. Oh, I was just making sure uh, that I because you did ask me about it. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> that uh, yeah, well, there's always in the dark. a few words for a few versions of split testing. I think Facebook in their terminology talk about split testing. That that's the language I've seen them use. Um, but then other sites seem to use the term multivariant testing. So well, it is a multivariant test, so that makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> Call it what you will. Same same. So you spoke about color as well and how you want things to be quite dramatic in how different they are to really be able to go, yes, this is this is a significant um, factor in performance. Obviously with color, you know, there are so many elements to a banner. How important would you say sort of call to action color is when you're thinking about testing? Well, for previous test results we've done, but again, going back to what I said earlier about things change, um, when mm. we did it, at eBay, for example, um, we found most color didn't make too much of a difference, except when it was yellow. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've seen, we found a significant difference. Um, and I've noticed that with my current ads lately that yellow still seems to perform better than my other 
ad creators what I do use a color uh, lime green does as well so I think it might just be the vibrancy of the color helps mm -hmm. um, it's sort of the, that goes back to what I said last week about this harmonious color as well being quite jarring and um, it helps draw the eye so I definitely think yellow and other bright colors are very good color options uh, for testing call to actions. But um, again, it's an A-B test, May maybe do a call to action in a vibrant yellow versus a button that's like black and muted and see if it makes a difference or not for your industry. Because it is also very psychological to what you are, what you sell um, mm -hmm. as a business as well. So like if you're Apple, um, for example, they're all, their aesthetics premium. Um, and so seeing a bright yellow button probably wouldn't necessarily work for them because it might cheapen the brand a bit. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going off track as I always do. <laughs> Call to action color theory um, in terms of A-B testing, definitely try it out. Um, see if brighter colors will perform better for you um, with A-B testing. Mm. Yeah, I love that you made the differentiation between a vibrant color and a muted color. And sometimes it's not so much the color itself, but perhaps the the tone or the energy that comes from the color. And obviously yellow, certainly it's uplifting. It feels, you know, inspiring, it's hopeful. And then, you know, I know you've done a whole lot um, on color theory and we actually have some videos on that as well, which people can check out. Um, but just like you say, keeping it aligned with the brand. So I, I don't think that was a, a tangent at all. I think it was, it was very insightful. <laughs> so more of those, thank you. Oh, I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a question, Ben. So disharmonious colors you spoke about and, and we obviously went into detail with that last week what's the difference between a disharmonious color and a complementary color okay so complementary um, if you look at a color wheel uh, it is always the so I'll, be, I'll use blue I'll use yellow again because we love yellow mm -hmm. uh, when you're in lockdown you want to go for uplifting and hopeful colors so if your creative is all blue for example and you wanted a complementary color and complementary colors do work extremely well for call to actions um well actually i can't say that for sure because the color i tested with this with was yellow um, so the opposite color to blue on the, the color wheel is yellow so that's complementary so if you had a blue website and used the complementary call to action which is yellow it will stand out um and so basically all it is is just the color opposite of your color of choice on the color wheel that's complementary mm -hmm. disharmonious is basically if you looked at all of the, the harmless color combinations so like complementary mono try it's basically anything that doesn't fit in those areas will just be jarring together so mm -hmm. like vibrant green and a vibrant red uh, when you look at the line when it goes in between them and you can just see that they, they jar like they're fighting for attention uh, that's probably disharmonious uh, color combination um like yeah did that i don't know if i explained that very well yeah, you did. yeah absolutely the fact that complementary sits under the umbrella of harmonious and then disharmonious is the opposite so talking to you as a designer i you know fully trust that that sort of visual recognition of when something um, complementary creates an experience of something being eye-catching and popping out versus when something disharmonious create something eye-catching and popping out. So it's obviously a very design by design sort of decision process. Yeah, so I mean, it's a kind of in the word as well. So it complements the color of your choice. So it's not it's not competing. Um, it, it's it's like a feature wall in a house. You know, mm -hmm. it, it looks like it's supposed to be there, um, but it's usually, the, it's usually the most vibrant thing in the room. I'm happy to put uh, another example of this on our Instagram um, of what, a, like 
uh, a blue and a yellow as complementary, where it sits in the color wheel, and then also uh, a disharmonious version. Uh, what would be disharmonious with blue, for example, so you can see the difference? That'd be great. Yeah, would love to share that with everyone, and I would love to check it out. So groovy. Groovy. We spoke about <laughs> color as a great way to A/B test. So different call to actions. You know, obviously you can test different background colors, different text colors. But obviously the call to action is the focus one. Another area uh, we did speak uh, about previously was product versus lifestyle imagery testing, and we did do a lot of that at eBay and, and sort of still think about that as well now. But it, I guess it'd be good if you could explain, Ben, what the difference between lifestyle photography or photography is uh, versus a product image. Well, I think that you did most of the testing on this, so I'd like to hear <laughs> from your point of view, because you're, you're more across this one than I was. Flip it, flip it back. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, so, flip it, I'm yeah. just going to do a Missy Elliott on you and flip it and reverse it. <laughs> <laughs> we all need some more Missy in our life at the moment. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel badass. Um, <laughs> so yeah, what was interesting, I think, through the testing that we ran was obviously and firstly to define a product image or including a, a product in a banner is literally a photo or I guess it could be, could it be an illustration as well, Ben? It's just a uh, representation of the product. Um. I would, if it was me and I wanted to test it, I'd be testing photography versus product, which is the actual product itself versus illustration, if you wanted to do, like, to test that one fairly, I would say. Because the illustration probably then is a multivariant. Mm. I'm not sure. It's a whole other layer of testing. We're on test inception. <laughs> we never did that. We didn't. We actually never t did test that one at, at, at the old eBay. Illustration, yeah. Well, for, yeah. for the purpose of the testing that we did do, it was very much, you know, obviously eBay is an e-commerce platform, platform and it's all about, you know, a lot of tech obviously comes out of eBay, but it's very product heavy. And so it's about showing off particularly those high value products. So when we were testing, we would often run different promotions across different categories, you know, tech, home and garden, fashion, uh, beauty, you know, jewelry, all of those sort of areas. And within those categories, we tested whether imagery of products would resonate best with audiences versus lifestyle imagery. So product image is a photo, we're saying of the product, and then lifestyle is, a, it's about a picture of the product sort of existing um, within a lifestyle moment. So it could be someone sitting at their desk, smiling whilst they're tapping on their laptop, mm. or it could be someone using their chainsaw to trim their hedge and having a great time. <laughs> Because yeah. a lot of people are doing <laughs> tending to their garden because that's what we all do yes. in COVID because we have nothing. We're tending to yeah. our, our beautiful gardens, which is lovely. I, so, so I always I always love to think of lifestyle as um. I mean, I, I guess in its technicality, it's a photo of the product being used. Um, mm -hmm. But I like to always think of it as the feeling that the person is having whilst they're experiencing the product. Mm. Um, versus just like the picture of the chainsaw in like on a stump, <laughs> for example. Yeah, it's more emotional. It's more emotional because yes. it's almost it's almost like them, like a little vision board of them manifesting and seeing what it would feel like to be, yeah, to be. Ch chopping down a tree. <laughs> I'm sure it feels really good. I, I can't say I've ever done it, but I kind of want to now. 
Oh, well, maybe something to do on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Just a low-key lockdown activity. Go chop down a tree. No, but but yeah. So what we found, which was super interesting, I think, particularly with high-value products. So you know, tech. There's something really attractive about uh, a Fitbit, you know, smartwatch or a. Uh, just a beautiful digital camera or you know headphones some Bose headphones oh everyone just loves a fresh pair like and you really instantly can perceive the value of that item um what was interesting is tech products sort of didn't seem to resonate as well in lifestyle settings almost because that value perception with the product alone was so strong uh we found you know across other categories such as fashion and jewelry and, and it's interesting because i think perhaps there is something a little bit more emotional um, and personal about the clothes that you do choose to wear or the jewelry that you put on yourselves so it's almost like you are buying into that experience you know of a of a particular model wearing your brand who you admire or you know maybe a particular scene where you want to wear that fashion and feel um recognized and and just a little bit fancy. So it's sort of very dependent on the product as to whether I think a product or lifestyle image will resonate best um, to sort of deliver on performance. But it's definitely uh, worth A-B testing, particularly if your industry perhaps, you know, even is something a bit more service-based and and not so much a product. Um, You know, interesting to think about, do you just sort of show visually what that package of a product includes or do you, you know, show a person using your service in a moment and how they're feeling, how excited they're feeling. I don't know. What do you think about Ben product versus lifestyle in a service-based sort of industry? You know what's you know what's interesting. You know, it's just something to do in hindsight. Is like when you work at eBay and you work in the marketing team um, versus running your own business um, and having to get every single marketing dollar that you spend to really perform for you because you don't have the same budget as you do with. So, so when you're spending for eBay, um, I was just thinking about something I didn't think about about back then because I wasn't a business owner, and mm. that's the the thought of we never tested lifestyle imagery from a pain point of view. So when we had our marketing meetings about what products or what the image should be in on the creative, we never actually thought about uh, Fitbit, for example, and the end result for the customer being fit and healthy. Um, it was always about just someone running with the watch and we never actually thought too much about the outcome or the pain or pleasure that that person who really wants that Fitbit might be experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that part of the conversation we never ever actually had while we were at eBay. So it would be nice to go back around and do those creative tests thinking about the pains and pleasures of our customers and seeing if the lifestyle image spoke to you being your healthiest and fittest self, mm-hmm. um, you know, with your dream body. Um, <laughs> whilst wearing a Fitbit would actually help the conversion of the Fitbit as a lifestyle imagery image versus what we probably had, which is just someone running Um, or a close up shot of, of it on someone's wrist, for example. Like, yeah, I just feel like we missed probably the pain and pleasure attributes when we were doing lifestyle testing on that. But um, again, that's probably something to test. But, you know, go, eBay, if you're listening, you should try and test that because we're not going to. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just interesting. It was just interesting because, yeah, I often it's nice to see when small business owners or marketing teams with less marketing budget have to really think about all this stuff to make the creative perform the best it can for the spend that they have. So um, mm. it, it would be interesting to go back and try to do those tests again uh, with that lens on. 
hundred percent. Yeah, leaning in, leaning into the, the the customer and experience we're wanting them to alleviate them from or to help them to have. So yeah, no, that's that's very interesting, Ben, and something we can definitely continue to look into. But um, I mean, that probably would have been a lifestyle versus lifestyle AB test rather than a lifestyle versus product test, mm-hmm. uh, because it would be lifestyle of someone running with it on their hand versus mm. like the pain point to see which one resonated better. Um, you can't, obviously, that's a multivariant test otherwise, isn't it? Like, yes. One, it's the lifestyle image would be emotional, whereas product isn't, um, when it's just cut out on a, like, deep etched and just shoved on a banner. <laughs> so. The psychology of it too, I'd be really interested to know as well. I mean, perhaps it's very personal to a particular business, but whether uh, people are more drawn to having their pain alleviated, so sort of an image that, um, I represented that or more seeing their pleasure achieved. So do we see that discomfort of a unhappy face of like, this is what this is solving for you or the face of relief, you know, which one works best. So be interesting to know. Yes. Test, I mean, test away. I think a lot of people are fear-based. <laughs> so they run from fear. But this kind of rolls in as well nicely to a bit about the value of products and services of the imagery that you're representing. And this is a really quick point, but it was interesting. We did a bit of targeting and you mentioned it earlier just around being really consistent in your A-B testing on the audience that you're targeting. So obviously if you're mixing up age, uh, you know, gender, you know, location, and you're sending all these different banners to totally different audiences, it's not a fair test and you're not gonna have a conclusive result. So I think what was interesting is we thought perhaps people that spend more would want to see more expensive products and that people that spend less would like to see more uh, lower price products because that would obviously make sense in terms of their spending behavior but what we found out in fact is that everybody loves an aspirational product versus you know just an achievable product so don't don't assume that people want to see something that they usually buy like keep inspiring them keep keep you know making them sort of see Mm. that product that they could one day have even if it's not something they're looking to buy straight away i mean I think when you're also running a lot of promotional uh, price promos and you see a, a banner, uh, it's like 20% off Bose headphones versus um, someone who you would think would spend less, like 20% off uh, dishwashing tablets, mm-hmm. um, the perceived value of 20% off Bose is going to be a lot higher as well. I think um, because everyone knows how expensive Bose are, so they instantly would see the, the value of the discount, whereas, you know, I know I'm using really vast differences here, but at eBay, mm-hmm. we did actually, this is the sort of stuff you would see in a campaign. It would actually be, <laughs> you could yeah. be getting 20% off Bose or dishwashing tablets, um, but 20% <laughs> off dishwashing tablets is only a few dollars. So the perceived value is a lot lower. Um, yes. So I, I don't know if that, that helped either, but yeah. And um, I have a friend uh, who runs a clothing, fashion business, and uh, she used to always say, make it look expensive because people always want to be bougie. They always want to, everyone always wants the next great thing. They always want to feel like they can afford the expensive item. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, it's aspirational. No one wants to feel like they're shopping at Crazy Clarks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do we even have Crazy Clarks anymore? Um, I, I really don't think so. <laughs> did it, was it Crazy Clarks in Sydney or was it a Queensland thing? What do they sell again? Uh, they were like um, your two dollar store. They were like in every shopping center called Crazy Clarks. Isn't like the dollar the discount store and the dollar bin or something? Isn't that what they're called these days? There used to be a, like mm-hmm. 
three different three major big brands and they all kind of went bust. I think the only one that's around now is I can't remember the name of it, but I'm assuming Crazy Clarks is gone. Anyway, throwback. <laughs> throwback, no, but it is really interesting. And I think that really leans into some stats that I came across, which are just around sort of the factors that influence um, internet shoppers, particularly, obviously, we're all shopping online now as well in making a purchase decision. And interestingly, above price came quality. So 32% of people actually said that quality and perception of quality was sort of the biggest factor in them making a, a purchasing decision. And then price came underneath at around 26%. So uh, it's really interesting that we sort of forget, you know, we sort of go really hard with 20% off and X percent off. Um, but really, if we're thinking about what, yeah, how is our value perception and quality of product coming across? Um, so yeah, definitely something to think about in testing um, when you're choosing products. Oh, sure. It's been that psychology even works with service-based businesses. Like you'd be surprised how many more clients you get when you charge more, because uh, people value the product and service high, higher than if they would pay pay a cheaper price. Which is which is kind of funny coming from us because we're a, <laughs> a kind of affordable design <laughs> service. But you know, we used to have a very low price, um, and it always attracted the wrong customers, uh, even though it was a very attractive price. Um, mm. You know, so getting rid of that. Low, low entry price point kind of brought in the right right customers and the right people and um, mm -hmm. so yeah being the cheapest on the market doesn't always necessarily serve you as a business um, mm. and it can also be perceived as you said before as the quality not being so great yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and if your value is is of a certain caliber you need to show that and reflect that in price so people can understand that that is what's available. So it's just a cue of teaching people how to relate to you and what you're offering. So it makes a lot of sense. Wonderful. And one last thing I did have in testing is, um, I guess it's obviously it's a copywriting element, but in terms of, and it kind of leans into promotional strategy as well, just super quickly around testing different discount offers. I, I think that was one we would often sort of think about, you know, is, is a, a flat rate, so a, a discount of $10 off or is a 10% off a better offer? Um, is that more appealing to customers? Because we would have sort of a maximum discount, you know, essentially it's effect effectively the same discount. It's just the perception of a percent versus a, a flat discount amount. So something to test. Yes, and it's different depending on your industry as well, I would, I would think. So um, mm. at, it's kind of like $10 off both headphones versus 10% off both headphones. Uh, you, you know 10% off it's going to be high like the perceived value is higher but again test it yeah I mean I've just recently found that when we do price promos for us it's actually not that not that fruitful um, mm. doesn't actually increase our conversion at all so we we, we save that one for our uh, conversations instead when we have have people as a closer <laughs> rather than on the promotion itself so uh, it's always good to test. I mean, that's might be a nice one to test as well. Like, I, um, a discount versus no discount of the same creative mm. um, to see if, like, you're doing yourself a disservice uh, that you never needed to actually offer a discount in the first place. <laughs> because if if you, you don't have to, it's more you know, why why would you? 100% and it goes back to the value perception thing again if you're constantly discounting it's sort of what is that implying that you're you know desperate to get customers or you're yeah there is that margin in your product so it's sort of thinking about the psychology behind how people read into your offers as well 
Yeah, and I think if they also see that you're always on discount and maybe this week you're at 10%, next, but last week you're at 20%, um, or the week before that you're at 30%, maybe they'll just go, actually, I, I want the service now, but I know that they've been on discount for a lot lower than 10%, so I might just wait around to see mm. if that comes up again. So you might have a lot of people just wait, waiting around who want your service, but you've kind of told them that, you know, you run discounts all the time, so they're just waiting for the right one. Yeah, so interesting. And that's a whole other session on promotional strategy. <laughs> it and is. And how you manage that with design and, and bring it all to life to, to really, yeah, just have a solid result. But um, we'll have to we'll have to think about that for next time. So if you, so just to recap it, I was, if like, if you had to go to walk away from this podcast with some, with some insight, you would say, you would say it was A-B test your colors, see what works best for your industry. Vibrant colors tend generally attract eyeballs. Um, in your experience, Anna, products of aspirational and value seems to perform better than being cheap. <laughs> totally. Uh, and um, just go out and test as much as you can. Wonderful. And let us know if you run a test and you see some really interesting results. We always love to hear about it. Um, and yeah, it's an exciting journey to be on. So keep that testing happening. Thanks for joining us on Design That Scales. If you do have any questions on the A-B testing that Ben and I covered today, follow us on Instagram at 55 Knots Agency, slip into our DMs and let's have a chat. We'll see you next week. Dum, 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 dum.